Our text is the uh, second reading today from Acts chapter 9, the account of the conversion of St. Saint, Saint Paul. Uh, and I'll just be reading selected verses from that text. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then at verse 17, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, who loves us so much, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. About uh, 600 years <clears throat> before our Lord Jesus Christ entered this world, that uh, Jeremiah, the old prophet, the weeping prophet, wrote his book. We already heard a word from Jeremiah this morning. In another place, Jeremiah wrote, Thus says the Lord, Stand at the crossroads and look, and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Ask for the ancient paths, and you will find rest for your souls. Of course, most people today are not particularly interested in the ancient paths. If something was Instagram, tweeted, Twitter, or otherwise communicated more than 20 minutes ago, it is already old news, pretty much forgotten. That was then, this is now. But as God's people, we have learned to have a deep respect for the wisdom, the faith, which has been handed down to us by our ancestors in the faith, particularly this year in the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation, we give thanks and praise to God for those courageous leaders who rediscovered and then boldly proclaimed the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And on this day, June the 25th, we actually have another special reason for Lutheran celebration, this is the anniversary of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. It was exactly 487 years ago today, June the 25th, 1530, that a stalwart Lutheran layman, Dr. Christian Beyer, a man we are told who had a very loud voice, stood before Emperor Charles V and the Imperial Assembly gathered there in Augsburg and read this document, this Confession of the Faith, which had been crafted by Philip Melanchthon with a lot of help from Martin Luther and others. We are told that the reading lasted two hours and no one fell asleep during the reading. The Roman Catholic officials who were there had actually hoped to keep a lid on this Lutheran thing, 
But Bayer read in such a clear, booming voice that the 200 or so people in the assembly there could all hear every word, and many were actually impressed with the scriptural authority of the document. And not only that, but it was a hot day in the summer, and so the windows of the hall were thrown open, and even the crowds assembled out in the courtyard could hear this beautiful articulation of the Christian faith. The heart of that document, the Augsburg Confession, was to be found in Article 4 on justification. Philip Melanchthon had written, Our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merit, or works. People are freely justified for the sake of Christ through faith, when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. By his death, Christ made satisfaction for our sins, and God counts this faith for righteousness in his sight. It's important to remember that uh, <clears throat> Luther and uh, Philip Melanchthon did not just uh, concoct this doctrine of justification and the free forgiveness of sins for the sake of Christ out of thin air. It came from the Bible, and particularly from the writings of St. Paul. No one in the Bible proclaimed the gospel more clearly and eloquently than St. Paul. Nobody else had a better handle on the grace of God in Jesus Christ than Paul. But we know that it was not always so. When we first meet Paul in the Bible, his name at that point is Saul before his conversion. When we first meet Saul, he is actually a persecutor of Christians. When we first meet him, he is actually giving approval to the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And then we read on how Saul went about ravaging the church, actually going from house to house among the Christians and dragging off both men and women and hauling them into prison. And so also in our text for today, Acts chapter 9, we read that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way he might bring them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. He was full of anger. He was like a fire-breathing dragon. Saul hated the church. He hated the name of Jesus. He was full of hostility toward all of these followers of Jesus who, so far as he was concerned, were undermining and destroying the ancient Jewish religion. Saul was an angry, angry man. And of course, we know a lot about anger in our culture today. The uh, internet, social media are full of a lot of uh, angry people <laughs> bitterly attacking one another. A fellow from uh, Belleville, Illinois, was apparently very angry with rich people and Republicans and congressmen and Donald Trump. And so he went out and got some guns and went to Washington and started shooting people on a baseball field. 
And so now we have, again, this national discussion about the level of uh, anger and divisiveness in our culture. And we have a lot of angry people accusing one another of being the source of all of this anger and divisiveness. The old book that we like to use around here quite a bit uh, has something to say on the subject. Proverbs chapter 30, for example. For as uh, churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so also stirring up anger produces strife. Or Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. Or James chapter 1. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. Today I believe it's just possible that we as Christians are tempted to excuse the anger that is often within ourselves. Excuse it because it is, of course, righteous anger. If it's my anger, then it must be righteous anger. It must be good anger. A lot of bad stuff certainly going on in our culture, abortion, assisted suicide, same-sex marriage, uh, attacks on our religious freedom, a multi-billion dollar pornography industry, corrupt politicians, terrorism, the list goes on and on and on, and uh, we can get angry about it. We can get angry about all those people out there doing crazy, crazy things. We can get angry about all that sin that is out there, and certainly there is plenty of it. But do we sometimes in the process forget the sin that is in here? The bitterness and resentment that can infect our own hearts and souls. The anger that can intrude upon our relationships. We have a healthy reminder of this as we make use of our catechisms uh, Christian questions and answers prepared by Dr. Martin Luther for those who intend to go to the sacrament. Some of you uh, may use those Christian questions and answers in your preparation. Question number one, do you believe that you are a sinner? Well, I don't know, that sounds like kind of a simplistic question to me. Omen? Do you believe that you are a sinner? That's kind of personal. I'm a pastor and probably made a few missteps along the way, a few little errors in judgment occasionally. Omen, do you believe that you are a sinner? And just in case I have completely forgotten the answer, the Catechism also provides the answer, yes, I believe it, I am a sinner. And then the follow-up question, what have you deserved because of your sins? Answer, his wrath and displeasure, temporal death and eternal damnation. We do well to remember that the sin problem is not just out there, 
it is also in here, in here. Saul's a very religious man, but he was full of anger that day as he made his way to Damascus when suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground, unable to move, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul met Jesus that day, the crucified and risen Lord, and his life was transformed. He was never the same person again. Saul was a Pharisee, a diligent student of the Hebrew Bible. He had studied under Gamaliel, the, the outstanding rabbi in the whole Jewish world. Saul pretty much had the Old Testament, I would imagine, memorized. He thought he knew everything. But actually, he knew nothing. <laughs> because he had been blind. He had been blind to the central message of his Bible, namely the gospel, the grace of God, the promise of the Savior, the suffering servant who was to come. That day on the Damascus Road, he realized that that ancient promise had been fulfilled in Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection. In Jesus, God himself had actually taken on our human flesh. God had entered our world, a world of bitterness and a world of hostility and anger. He had endured the anger of the hostile mob demanding his crucifixion when they finally succeeded in nailing him to the cross. He prayed. He prayed for all of them and for all of us and for all of the angry sinners who have ever lived. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Saul met Jesus that day and three days later, he was baptized, and the grace of God just flooded his life. He was, a, he was a completely new person. His heart was now full of love for the Jews, his fellow Jews, and full of love for the Gentiles, whom he had previously considered to be unclean and untouchable. He, he was now St. Paul, the great missionary apostle. He learned to live graciously. He learned to preach grace and forgiveness to the Jews and grace and forgiveness to the Gentiles. He was the great missionary apostle. And later he wrote to his young friend, Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I received, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save sinners. With just a quick glance around the room today, it would appear to me that all of you are in that category, sinners. And so that means that God's grace is for you. Christ died for you. And today, he forgives you 
all your sins. And that means also that you are now free to live graciously as Paul did. There is certainly a lot of anger and divisiveness in our culture today, and we as Christians still sometimes get plenty angry. But we have something to offer the world besides anger. We have the love of Christ. We have the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. We need it. Our families need it. Our churches need it. The world needs it. The old weeping prophet Jeremiah wrote, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Ask for the ancient paths and you will find rest for your souls. <clears throat> I used to uh, do quite a few weddings and uh, therefore also premarital counseling, premarital counseling, um, although I never quite figured out how you do premarital counseling. I mean, what do you say? Do you know how to do premarital counseling, Jim? <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I never quite figured it out, but uh, at, at any rate, I did the best I could, and in premarital counseling, we would... Uh, we would talk about the fact that there is an outside chance, there is an outside chance that in your marriage someday you might actually be angry with one another. <laughs> or you might even be real angry with one another. Or your kids might be angry, <clears throat> or your in-laws might be angry, <clears throat> or uh, you might be angry with your in-laws or uh, you might be encountering angry people at work. And so I would, I would teach the couple an old prayer, an ancient prayer, which they could uh, hang on to and uh, use along the way. And it might even be a prayer that uh, some of you have encountered and learned along the way as well. I would uh, certainly commend it to you. Uh, whether you're married or single, it really doesn't matter. It can be a great blessing. I would urge you to uh, pray it regularly, pray it daily, in fact. It goes like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.